it's chaos in my head, you know? <laughs> and for a very long time, I did not know how to deal with this because I'm like, you know, I'm just thinking it through. I know what I'm doing. But then I started journaling and that really changed the game for me. Have you ever wondered whether there's actually a sustainable way to balance a healthy and meaningful life with your busy schedule? Well, you're in luck, Balancer, because I did too. And the Balancery podcast is now a dedicated space to be curious in finding a balance that just works. Because since we're being honest here, balance isn't a one-size-fits-all. I'm your host, Erica, and let's dive into today's episode. All right, Balancers, today's guest is someone I'm very inspired by. I've had the pleasure of meeting her recently and I'm really keen to get to know you a little bit better on the show today. She has quite the impressive bio. I'm going to just share some of the things that um, are really incredible that she's achieved and currently doing. So she has a master's in material science from the University of Oxford and a PhD in spinal research from the University of Cambridge. She's launched a non-for-profit consultancy. She's worked as a COO. She's founded Project Access for Refugees. She's been a TEDx speaker. She is the host of a fantastic podcast called Dream Girl. And currently she's teaching on the future of tech and coaching startups and content creators on business decisions and strategy. There's a lot I want to ask you, but firstly, I just want to say thank you so much for making the time and coming on the show today. No, thank you for having me, Erica. I'm super excited. Likewise. So we were chatting a little bit yesterday about how you've jumped through and done so many different things. You feel like you've had a hundred different careers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting. And there's a lot to unpack in that from the point of view of the mindset you've had to adopt to do all those things and how you've come full circle which big congratulations to you have officially you're doing your own thing now which is really really exciting so maybe let's start with the first time you decided to shift or change something in your career mm -hmm. the reason I want to start here is I have a lot of listeners who have that something in mind or they're starting to think about okay what's that something else because it's just not sitting right with them where they currently are and so talk to me about that initial thought process and through to you taking the action to actually make a shift? Yeah, that's that's such a important question, I think. And funny enough, I was just telling you I was at the desert yesterday and a friend of mine just sat down and told me, listen, I'm so done with what I'm doing my whole life. I've trained to be an investment banker and I can't do it anymore. How do you move out of what you've been training your whole life? And for me, the first time this happened was um, while I was doing my PhD. So I was doing full science PhD and my whole life I wanted to be a scientist. But then slowly that realization came that this is not what I like. And I think this is the trap that a lot of us, especially in our generation, are stuck in is because when you're in school, you didn't know a lot of the jobs that exist nowadays. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's the statistics that by 2030, which is what, six years away, 80% um, of the jobs in the marketplace do not exist yet. That's crazy. Imagine. So what are we training for, really? Mm. Um, and that that's what happened to me is when I, I mean, I grew up on an island in Mauritius. There's not that much that we knew about careers except for, you know, the, the gen generic one, doctor, lawyer. Um, so even when I did material science, that was already a bit weird. Nobody knew what that was. Then slowly doing science, I realized that I don't really find this that fulfilling. I like mm. it. It's fun to do, but when I look at the careers, it's either academia or industry or teaching. And I was like, mm, I don't really see the, the people who are working this and are climbing the ladder. It's not something I aspire to do. 
And then I thought, okay, let me explore what's out there. And I think step one is always to try and see what's out there before you commit to anything else. And then that's when I joined a lot of student clubs, a lot of student societies, made a lot of friends who were doing different subjects and trying to see what other career options are. Then I stumbled onto consulting and I thought, okay, consulting recognizes the skills that I got from science. So it's not all to waste. Um, but at the same time, it is something new. And I was super excited about this intersection between business and science. And I thought, okay, I, I want to do this. Let me explore this. So it wasn't that much of a drastic change for me. It was a little bit of a smooth transition at that point. But there were a lot of new things for me to learn when I was applying for the job because I, at that point, I did not even know what a PNL was, you know, because I've never really done business um, studies at all. So then there was a bit of a learning curve. And suddenly, I think this is something we discussed yesterday, you know, when you're bad at something new <laughs> is something that I really struggle with. And then that was a little bit of time before I got used to it and comfortable with it and then eventually got into consulting. But I think the bigger change for me happened when I left the corporate world to go into the startup world. Mm -hmm. And that's because... So that was after this initial jump yeah, into consulting. Right. Yeah. So I went into consulting and it felt very much like a smooth transition, as I said, because it's very structured. You know exactly what you're doing. You start in with a batch of people. You have a lot of training. Um, so that was not that abrupt. But then when I decided to leave that structured world for the first time and go into the startup world, that was the big transition. Mm. And that's where a lot of other factors come into play, the societal expectations, the external validation, the title, the money, everything comes into play. And you're going to leave this my whole life. I was associated with really big institutions and that kind of like became part of my identity, which mm. was a bad thing. And then that was my internal conflict of, I want to be happy, but I also kind of like this external validation that comes with it. So then there was a lot of internal work that needed to happen. And for mm -hmm. me, honestly, as bad as it sounds, it was just the breaking point of I cannot do this anymore because it is not fulfilling me. I am extremely unhappy. And there, there was a very fine night where it was 2.30 a.m. and I'm still working mm -hmm. and I'm working on fixing a table of content that needs to go out the next day. And I remember just like crying onto my laptop and thinking, why am I doing this? Mm. Does this Formatting will do that to anyone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you also wonder like, really does this table of content need to be fixed at 2.30 AM? Mm. What is that gonna change really yeah. in the grand scheme of things? No one is gonna die because yeah. I didn't do this. Then I thought, okay, no, I need to find a way out. You know, so unfortunately a lot of people like myself, you wait until the breaking points and then you think, okay, maybe this is not it. But I think now a lot of people become a bit more diligent. And because I've been through it, now I am better at recognizing the flags, you know, that, okay, maybe this is not it. I need to think some, about something else. Yeah, yeah. I think there'll be a, a mixed bag of people listening that are maybe getting close to that breaking point. Yeah. Or maybe they're just starting with those initial flags of, um, feelings of dissatisfaction or they're not feeling fulfilled and it's kind of becoming more frequent that they're thinking of it than less. I mean, that's kind of how I felt anyway. And one thing I resonate with was when I was at law school, about three years into the five and a half, five, six year degree, I almost dropped out because mm -hmm. I was like, I don't like this. Like, am I going to do this forever? And it's a very jarring feeling to be like, I've put so much time. I'm just going to waste this now if I don't do it. Right. And anyway, I ended up staying in law. I ended up going on I'm still working as a lawyer and I still know it's not something I want to do but I think you have to be very careful when you have that realization of okay this isn't for me 
to not fall into that, well, I've just wasted so much time because the, the truth is, and one of my old bosses said this to me and I'll never forget it. He said, do you know what? You going to university and getting a law degree, it's less about what you actually learned and it's more about the fact that you can stick to something push through, persevere, law is quite content heavy. So you can read a lot of information and, and be able to take that on and pass. That's more a compliment or I guess a more a testament to your skills than the actual material or the subject matter itself. Mm -hmm. So when I kind of zoomed out, I was like, okay, me getting a degree and, and just like you, like going through your PhD and your master's, it has it's a testament to you as a learner as someone who grows someone who pushes yourself now whether you then go and choose to stay in that vertical of mm -hmm. knowledge or subject matter you know it depends on what you're interested in but I think a lot of people can get stuck and not divorce themselves from this is what I studied this is what I need to do because it is a lot of both financially and from a time point of view so it's yeah, it's a tough one to break out of, but I think when you zoom out and think, okay, the degree was more than the subject matter of what I learned, that was a good like tool for me to mm -hmm. shift. But if we kind of dive into a little bit now, more the actual taking the actions, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's, I feel like there's a few steps here. It's like yeah. acknowledging it and then actually taking the steps and making a change, which is really the tough part, right? Like I think a lot of people sit in that, okay, I know this isn't what I want to do. This is maybe something else I'd like to explore. Like, what do you feel for you? Let's start maybe in the mindset. What did you have to shift mentally to actually go back to being a beginner, to go back to square one, to go back to, okay, I need to explore an industry that I'm not 100% familiar with? Because as we spoke about yesterday, like being a high achiever or a high performer, we don't like sucking at things mm -hmm. and not being really like one of the one of the best, but it comes to a point where you have to start yeah. somewhere. So how do you navigate like that internal conflict of I need to be really good at something versus I need to be a beginner to get really good at something? Yeah, I think that, that's a very good question. I think just to add a little bit to what you were talking about is the sunk cost feeling that a lot of people have. And I think I just want to address that because we all have this um, internal dialogue that we tell ourselves, yeah, I've invested money and time into this now. I might as well see it to completion. I think about it in a very morbid way, which is if you were to live, let's say, to 85, 90, what is three years as a percentage of your life, really, sure. that you are going to say you wasted it? But then you also went to primary school for like 10 years. How much did you really learn in those 10 years? You know, And in the grand scheme of things, it's really not that bad. And there's always the, what is that rule that they say that if something will not matter in five, five days, five weeks or five years, right? And I think any change as big as this in five years doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. So then why why would you worry about it? So that's one thing. But um, the second question that you asked, which was about how, um, remind me the question. The, now. the mindset that you need to actually take. To be a beginner, beginner. again. Yes. Okay. So yeah, that, that's a very good question. And, and I never thought about it until I was faced with it, which was, um, especially consulting when I started the job, it was really hard. The first two weeks, I remember we were doing financial modeling on Excel and I just sat there thinking, what, what is going on? You know, and I have never thought about this this way. Like sometimes you understand some of it, you don't understand some of it. This one, I was completely lost. I think we reached like task five. I was still trying to figure out what task one was. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? And everyone around me seemed to be doing well. And I remember thinking, okay, maybe this is not going to be as easy to learn. And then the whole like imposter syndrome 
mm. creeps in the whole perfectionism creeps in and then you think maybe I should have stuck to the thing that I am an expert in now I'm here I'm a loser no one will know how smart I am because they'll think I don't know how to do this I had to do start this way but then when you start to see the incremental improvements then you think okay you get a, I I personally get a little bit addicted to this little improvement that you see every mm. time and you, you are chasing the next one until you actually master the new skill and I think the main mindset change that needed to happen was the growth mindset right and so again this is something that I teach as well because a lot of us are really not exploring growth mindset but there's also this quickly growth mindset so this is for people who do this quickly career which is exactly what I do and this is what I talk about a lot is that we're not meant to be stuck to one career we're not meant to be stuck to one task to one skill because human by nature are multi-talented and we need to have this mindset that we need to keep learning to the point where you see someone else doing something that you are not good at you don't see it as a threat you don't see it as something lacking on your side but as a potential of something new for you to learn from mm, and that. that was the mindset change that really needed to happen for me and for me I've done it so many times especially even with a content creation aspect it's something that I had never done before mm. and thinking about people being on YouTube I was like mm you need to film and edit like what what even is editing and I remember I was so I filmed the first time I filmed which was in 2020 um and I saved that file for I think three months and I didn't do anything with it just because I didn't know how to edit but I had a friend who was then like just sit I have this course just watch it for two hours you will be able to edit after after this and I remember when I started I was like what is going on what's a shortcut what is this <laughs> and then eventually I learned it and then because I've done it a few times then you understand that, okay, this is quite normal. Most people start by not knowing. Mm. And then you remember the few times that you've tried, for example, okay, when I started consulting, it took me a while, but then I got there. Started content creation, took a while, but then I got there. So then it's just about believing that, oh, you know, it's just going to be a little bit grating at the start of it. And then you get, you get used to it. But the main thing to remind yourself is that nobody starts off as an expert an True. expert is someone who has done the same thing over and over and over again over a very long period of time then they get good at it sure you have some exception of people who are super talented um but they are the exception to the rule they're not the rule mm. yeah absolutely i think that's a good reminder because i think even just being like having high standards for yourself when you do something you naturally do just can compare yourself to other people in that vertical or in that particular business or career and you forget that they've been doing it for so much longer. Like it's almost like that thought goes out the window yeah. and it's like automatically they're the standard. But yeah. now I understand because yesterday I asked you about how you potentially combat or deal with comparing yourself mm -hmm. and the way you answered me and what you've just explained, I understand mm -hmm. why your comparison really is just to your future self and not others because you've had that shift with your mindset to go, okay, people are actually inspiration. They're a symbol of the potential that I can tap into. And I think that is really, really powerful mm -hmm. and a good one for anyone to remember um, if they're on the precipice of doing something new or about to make a big change, you know, whether that be move countries, change careers, end a relationship, start a relationship, mm -hmm. whatever it is, remembering that is, is very, very powerful. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The other thing I wanted to add when we were talking about starting new things or stopping things uh, like not necessarily serving you is I think a part of being or having like a winner mindset or success is actually the power in letting things go that don't serve you. So if you've studied something for years, if you've been doing a job for years and you've now identified, okay, this thing is no longer the thing I want to do rather than being hung up on, oh, but I've put so much time, you know, like the sunken cost thing you were talking about. It's actually saying my time is better now spent doing something else. I can now identify my potential is better put towards. And I think we often have this thing in our head, like winners don't quit or like never give up. Like that kind of spirit I think can actually be really detrimental because it locks us into things that we've grown out of. So I think it's important and it goes hand in hand with what you were talking about with the sunken cost to actually use that as a strength and to be like, you know what, if I've identified I no longer like something, that's actually a positive because I now don't have to spend another 5, 10, 15 years to work it out. I know now. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I realized with myself. Like I wholeheartedly can say like I'm still in law and I, you know, know that's not a thing for me long term. I'm in it for now. But I'm grateful I have identified that now rather than 15 years into my career when I still don't like it. Do you know what I mean? One of the things I'd like to ask you about is how you actually enjoy those little moments or, um, you know, you, you were saying you have these dopamine hits when you start to incrementally get better at things. And I think that that's really important to enjoy the process. Yeah. Um, and I know you have a beautiful practice of how you actually kind of log or track these things to keep it front of mind because sometimes we have to force ourselves to look for these things. Sometimes we're just so laser focused on the goal or the big thing mm-hmm. we forget about the little things. So I'd love for you to share uh, the process you do to actually keep yourself accountable or like appreciate what you're achieving yeah I think that's a challenge that all of us really experience because especially when you're a high achiever right you are always change chasing the next thing and it's really hard to stop and just realize that you are living something that you wanted a while ago mm. and that's something that for a very long time I wasn't doing and I wasn't celebrating or appreciating to the point where then it was always kind of like unhappiness and not satisfied with whatever was going on and then um, a very good friend of mine one of my best friends she gave me this this is what she does and this is something that she learned when she was at Amazon and this is something they are encouraged to do is to have a book of wins and um, in the, the idea of it is that you have a book where you will record all of the really big wins that you have professionally and it can be you know I, I for example she launched you know Siri or something like not Siri sorry Alexa got my AI confused <laughs> um, but and so these big things like big projects big accomplishment but then she told me what you need to do is to have a, a book where every week you write three things that you have achieved and they don't need to be big 
they need to be three things that you are proud that you have achieved this week. And um, initially it would take me like an hour to think of one thing <laughs> that I've done this week. But now whenever you are going through the week, I start thinking, oh, this is going to make it to the book of win, you know, yes. and it's that mindset of, OK, now I, I see it while it's happening. You're that This is it. something good mm. and you appreciate it in the moments. And I think that's what's important about having the book of wins, because to be honest with you, I don't really sit down and read it. But it's just it's changed how I view things on a weekly basis and then having a separate book of the big wins. And this one is really important when it comes to you having very very intense moments of imposter syndrome. And there are many times um, and I'm sure you will relate to this. A lot of people will where you you are going through a phase of your life and you don't believe in yourself. And that belief dips a little bit. And in those moments, that's when probably the Book of Wins will help you if you sit down and look at it objectively. And I remember look, looking at like a few pages and thinking, let me see if I didn't know who this was. How do I think? Because I've, I've been in recruitment as well. I was like, let me see, how would I feel about like hiring someone like yeah. this, right? And then you're like, okay, this does look good to someone <laughs> else, right? I was like, this is, this is not a bad thing. Um, but for me, to be honest with you, what has really helped in these things is my support system. Mm. I remember one, one day I messaged um, a friend of mine and I told her, I am so tired today. I had to prepare these two things for tomorrow. I have this event tomorrow. I haven't slept in four nights. And I was like, this, this, this. And she was like, okay, but can we remember that you're tired because you're getting to do all of these things? Mm. And just that change shift. of perspective, right? Of like, I have to do this as opposed to I get to do this. Mm. And immediately the feelings behind change. And then you're like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I get to do this. This is fun. I've always wanted to do this. And it's just the hard work behind it. Mm. But for example, being on stage, I absolutely enjoy it. Talking to people on the podcast, really enjoy it. So I'm getting to do things that I enjoy. And it's just the hard work behind. So that's why it's super important to be surrounded by the right people. Because in the moment where you don't believe in yourself, they will remind you why they believe in you. Mm. And even if you don't believe what they're saying, but you're just, I just hold on to it like a little torch until I make it on the other side of the tunnel. Yeah. And I think that's what's helped me throughout the years. And that's why, you know, I always say, you know, the five people closest to you, you are the average of them. So that's why I choose really very, very very attentively and intentionally who are the people who have access to you because they will kind of like make or break your mindset yeah and they definitely shape you yeah um i i love so much of what you shared and i think even just having the book of wins as a a practice right as something that you do activates that reticular activation system so that you begin to look for those things so even if you just say you're going to do it it's like, you know, the analogy of if someone told you to look for a red car, then you start noticing the red car. Yeah. If you know that you have to identify wins at the end of the week, you start looking for them and it brings it to the front of your mind, which is actually a really nice thing. And I bet you probably have more than three things by the time you get yeah. to the end of the end of your week. You know, yeah. I find it um, one thing I started doing this year was just like kind of a little something I said to myself. I was like, look for the magic in every day. And it was so nice the way I started to, like I noticed things that I wouldn't notice before. Like, you know, when birds fully synchronize, like heaps of them, hundreds mm -hmm. of them, and they, I'm like, that's just so magical when you think mm -hmm. about it. Or like the sunrise, just little things in it, it, even outside of yourself, not even just things you're doing. It's just a nice way to shift your perspective. Um, the other thing I resonated with, I have worked very closely with a therapist for many years to understand myself better. Mm -hmm. 
And one thing she shared was a cookie jar, which is very mm. similar to your big wins. Yes. And it's something you can turn to in moments where you forget all the things you've achieved or you just need a little bit of a reminder. And it's those milestones that every every cookie effectively is like a milestone of your life mm-hmm. and it compounds into a jar so that when you need a boost from your past self or the past things you've achieved, you have that to turn to. Yeah. yeah, which is so important. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on... I feel like the whole concept of self-doubt and fear is a big thing that prevents people from making these shifts, right? I think, you know, you can identify them and then you can work out how you're going to do it and appreciate you're going to be a beginner and all of that. But there's still this big self-doubt and uncertainty that comes with it. I think one of the things on the fear side as well, I think one of the things that's helped me break through it is realising that, I think everyone experiences that fear. I think it's a universal thing when you're doing something out of your comfort zone, when you're pushing yourself beyond what's comfortable for you. But I think the difference is people that realize, okay, I'm feeling this because I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm going to take action anyway versus I'm feeling this because I'm not ready Mm -hmm. or I don't know enough. Do you kind of feel like that self-doubt for you presents or that fear whenever you're leveling up, like do you just take it now as a sign that you're out of your comfort zone or have you found a way to not avoid it completely but Mm -hmm. or do you just have like a different take on it? Okay, my favourite thing to talk about. I'm glad you brought this up. So obviously imposter syndrome is a big part of this, right, when it comes to self-doubt and I have experienced it a lot of times. I remember the early days of being in Oxford and thinking that, oh, this was probably like an admission mistake. That's how I made it here. You know, and that's that's what you feed yourself. And and, um, what really helped me was very recent and I heard um, Reshma Sajani, you know Reshma Sajani? So she's the, for those of you who don't know, she's the founder of um, Girls Who Code and she's an incredible woman and she did an incredible speech at Smith University at their graduation ceremony where she talked about imposter syndrome and the bicycle face phenomenon. Have you heard of that? I have seen it on your podcast. You you're you're a book of analogies and I'd love for you to share it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love to share that because for me, it was the first time I watched something on Instagram and it immediately changed the way I saw things. And I was like, I need to share this with as many people as possible. Um, so she talked about how in the early days when the first bicycle came about, it was just, you know, one of those big wheel and a small wheel. And women couldn't ride that because they were wearing all of these like really big puffy dresses. So they wouldn't be able to sit on that. Then when the normal bicycle, as we know it, came about, it was the first time women could now ride a bike. And um, the funny thing is that Uh, In those days, women needed carriages and horses and the guards to go with them whenever they needed to go anywhere. But now suddenly they needed nobody. They were fully independent with their travel. And that kind of like bothered society at that time to the point where the men decided that we need to put an end to this. And what we're going to do is we're going to publish in the medical journal that there's a new disease called bicycle face. (laughs) And it's affecting only women. And they described all of the symptoms, which were um, your hairline going back, getting really like rosy cheeks, getting everything flushed. we care about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also like your calves getting bigger. So all the just the symptoms of riding a bike, you know, after like a hot <laughs> symptoms, summer day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but funnily, only women are experiencing this, and then women got really scared and they actually stopped 
um, using their bikes. And many years later, when the first woman joined the medical council in the States, the first thing she did was to publish a report to annul the bicycle facing. It is not a medical condition. And Reshma really nicely compared the fact that the bicycle face of the olden days is our imposter syndrome of our generation. We've been fed this concept that if you are somewhere and you feel like you don't belong or you don't believe in yourself, it's imposter syndrome. And now all of us suddenly are like, oh, yeah, you know, I've experienced it. <laughs> but it's not necessarily that. As you said, there is it's just the being uncomfortable because you're in a new environment, you're mm -hmm. pushing yourself. And if we were not told that this is imposter syndrome, you would have never thought, oh, maybe I don't belong here. But yeah. it, so it, it really feeds into that narrative. And that's why I understand why a lot of people say that we should not use the word imposter syndrome. And I like how you didn't use it. You said self-doubt and uh, being uncomfortable. And I think that for me completely changed it. And I realized that being uncomfortable is amazing because that's where all the magic happens. That's where you start to see growth. You start to see opportunities. And for me, being uncomfortable is still not something that I would say I chase. It's not something <laughs> that I want um, because I think it, it's... It's a journey and I'm not there yet, but at the moment I do recognize that this is, oh, I hate this because it's uncomfortable and I will hate it for a while. And also somebody sat me down recently um, and uh, she's a lawyer as well. And she was telling me, listen, this is going to be uncomfortable. Sit with it. Just sit with it for a bit and think, okay, it's uncomfortable. I'm just going to push it to the back of my mind. But I have to do this because if I don't do it and I choose to end the uncomfortable phase, fine, but I don't get what I wanted to get. Is that is that the loss that you want to take? No. Mm. So just and she was like, you need to grow that thick skin. And I think this is something as women, especially we really avoid confrontation. We avoid uncomfortable conversations. And then you're like, OK, well, I'd rather just, you know, <laughs> quick exit. <laughs> but I think we need to be OK with sitting with that uncomfortable phase. And um, this is something yesterday I talked about on a panel as well, which was, you know, when you talk about how do you deal with any problems that come any, you know, impromptu challenge and my answer was I cry first and everybody burst out laughing and everyone was like yeah I cried yesterday <laughs> and I was like exactly it's normal you know your emotional reaction will always be there mm -hmm. but what changes the outcome is how you control that emotion and the mm -hmm. emotion doesn't control you yeah and I think that's how I face anything whether it's a challenge whether it is being uncomfortable being you know um not knowing how to handle something. Yes, the emotions are there and I recognize them, but I'm going to try and put them to the side and try and find the kind of like practical way of dealing with it. And I know it sounds like really hard to do practically, but it just comes with practice and yeah. I'm still doing it. And a lot of times emotions do take over. <laughs> you can't control it, but, but the aim should be to just try and be a little bit more pragmatic about it. Yeah. And I think, uh, it's something I resonate with too, like that emotional reaction. And I think sometimes we almost feel not guilty for having it, but you almost sometimes wish you you didn't. But what mm -hmm. I honestly think and the place I've grown to, again, it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. I think that's just the journey of life. But I think what's really powerful is giving yourself that space to emotionally respond mm -hmm. because I think what defines you is not that emotional response. That's a biological human thing we do mm -hmm. it when we feel threatened when we feel unsure like we need those emotions are there to protect us it's mm -hmm. for the benefit of our long-term survival but what defines us is actually how we then respond to that issue 
after the fact, right? Like you can feel the way you feel, but then it's like once you compose yourself and gather yourself, like how do you how do you then take actions or steps yeah. beyond it? And I think this is a it's a good one to sit with because it's it really is where the growth happens in that discomfort. It's a sign that you like it really is just a sign that you're out of your comfort zone and that's where change happens. Right. So if you are somebody listening who you want to make that move overseas, you want to change your career, like it is going to be uncomfortable because it is outside of what is comfortable for you. That's just by definition what change represents. And I think just taking that as you doing something different rather than you not being ready or prepared, I think is really important because defining that those feelings as you yourself not being uh, worthy or prepared enough to do something like how prepared can you be for something you've never done before really you can do it's like starting a podcast right like I sat on it for a few months but it's like really once I get the mic and I have my concept how much more prepared can I Mm -hmm. be I always say you're never going to look back at that first episode and be like wow I'm so amazing like you're only it's that's going to be the worst you're ever going to be which is actually exciting yeah (laughs) do you know what I mean so it's like just pushing yourself it's like a bit of you got to have a bit of grit to just move through it. But once you move through it, it's like by nature of you just doing it, it just gets more comfortable and then you just slowly start to yeah. improve and improve. Mm-hmm. Do you have any practice outside of what we've spoken about that's practical or tangible that helps you make sense of maybe feelings or thoughts you're having? Like do you just have any like habits or things you've developed over time that relate specifically to this discomfort? It's chaos in my head, you know, and for a very long time, I did not know how to deal with this because I'm like, you know, I'm just thinking it through. I know what I'm doing. But then I started journaling and that really changed the game for me because what it, you know, journaling doesn't bring you any solution, first of all. But what it did for me was kind of like try to order the chaos Mm -hmm. in my head. Unscramble. Yeah, completely unscramble it. But at the same time, it's also a little bit of like. I put it down on the journal now, so I don't need to think about it. Mm. So it's kind of like turned off. Discharges it. This part is done. We don't need to think about it yet. And that has really helped me because, um, especially starting my day on the right notes, and it's just like, okay, it was so hard. I remember I started on the 1st of January. And on the 3rd of January, I was like, oh gosh, this is so hard to do. I was like, it's been two days. (laughs) And then from the 3rd to the 11th, I didn't journal. (laughs) And then on the 11th, I was like, so from the 3rd to the 11th, this happened. (laughs) This is the recap. (laughs) (laughs) Short recap. Um, But it's hard and it's not, I was not consistent for a very long time. But then because, you know, you know what they say, if you do something for what, 28 days and then it becomes habit. So then I managed to keep at it and I try to keep it very short because for me, I know that for me to stay consistent with anything, it has to be the minimum barrier to energy levels here, you know, if it's like super easy. So I'm like five minutes, that's mm-hmm. all I give myself to journal in the morning. And I just write down, you know, what are the the main things on my mind right now as I woke up and what are the things I want to deal with today? Um, and what are the things bothering me? Just that. And I think that has really helped me to compartmentalize mm. how I'm feeling. And I think that really helps with uncluttering my brain so that I can focus on more practical things rather than the overall energy and feelings that I'm having about the situation yeah yeah that makes sense it's a it's a good way to unscramble kind yeah of. I know that scattered feeling and sometimes you wake up just already overwhelmed with thoughts so 100%. just doing that as a practice um mm. it's honestly not so I do, I do journal from time to time when I do feel I'm at that like point mm. where I need to just 
divide and conquer what's going on in my mind. But as an ongoing habit, not something I do. I, I meditate mm -hmm. myself, but it chops and changes, like depending on how I'm feeling mm -hmm. as well. I want to shift the conversation a little bit and ask you about something that is more in the work you're doing now. So you work on like personal branding. Yes. Right. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. I mean, when we talk about personal branding, a lot of people will think, oh, you know, if you have a service or you have a business or you're a personality, like it's important to have a personal brand. But I just wonder, like as a general exercise, the way you approach personal branding, is it a useful thing for people to do like irrespective of what they do for work? Like just mm -hmm. as a way to like work yourself out because I can imagine it would be um, like a self-assessment style exercise I mean maybe you can walk us through it but I guess my question is is it something that any, anyone can benefit from doing like working out what their personal brand is whether mm. they're going to create a whole business and show that off to the world or just doing it for themselves yeah I mean I have a really cool um, way of making people think about this which is uh, and this is not from me it's from someone else but if you think about um, let's say you you're from Australia right mm -hmm. let's say you are in a very remote village in Australia and you've lived there your whole life what is the likelihood of you meeting someone from Mauritius mm -hmm. me very low right um, probably never if you don't leave the village. Now let's say you've left the village and you're traveling a little bit around Australia, the likelihood of you bumping into a Mauritian is a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. But now if you leave Australia and you fly to, let's say South Africa, and then you fly to Seychelles, you fly to India, then it increases exponentially where you're definitely gonna meet someone from Mauritius. And the likelihood of us meeting would be much higher. Mm -hmm. So I see putting yourself online as that. You're increasing the surface area for serendipitous things to happen to you. Hmm. because when you're just in the physical world, yes, you can definitely meet new people, you can find new opportunities, but when you're online, your reach is now global. Hmm. It's now, not uh, restricted no, by geographic There's no borders. restrictions yeah. of who knows you, uh, of where you are, of uh, you know your background, nothing. Now it's just out there. And for me, it has been an incredible journey of being online. Whether it is the people I've met, I've made some great friends. I've found my co-founder, Lamide, uh, by being online. Um, you can get amazing opportunities. Like I got to meet Bill Gates from being online, you know, and all of these things are just things that would not have happened if I did not have a personal brand. And I, I never started it with the idea of, you know, selling a service or selling a product, starting a company, it was none of that. It was just about being online. So I would strongly recommend it just, but again, it's not for everybody. It does have its ups and downs. It has its good things and bad things about it. Um, but it's just about doing an assessment of what do you want? If you're looking for more opportunities and to explore more, or for you think, I think everyone has something to share at the end of the day, whether it is your stories, whether it is something that you teach, you have something that will add value to someone else. And if you feel comfortable in sharing that, then being online is a great place to be. Now, added to that, if you want to, if you have a service, a product, something that you want to sell, being online, there's no way out of it. Because now we've reached a point, especially after the pandemic, where people really value human interaction. The Yes, there are faceless pages on Instagram, but the ones that do really well are the ones that people connect with the person behind, right? Even for me, I feel like I'm lucky that the podcast did well because people already knew me. 
and that's why they they want to they want to support they want to know more because they know you as mm. a person and i think that's super important and then of course there is now the added thing to it where you can even monetize it you can make a business out of being online out of your personal brand and some people have done an incredible job at that you know if you think about the big names like jay shetty and stuff they they have set up a whole like empire mm. from their personal brand so it, it really depends on what you want it to be but it can also just be for fun yeah and i think for fun you will meet some incredible people and i think we live in such an interesting time right for example right now you can dm a celebrity on instagram mm. and the likelihood of them seeing it is very high and the fact that you can do that and if you're not using it i'm like well what, what is the point then you know back in the day we could only see them on a screen now you can actually dm and they respond mm. so i think we're living in a beautiful time and it is the best time to be online but being careful and mindful of what we do with it yeah absolutely if we're looking at personal brand just in and of itself as a concept, what are some of the things you do with your clients or the people you help build out a personal brand? What are some of the things you start to think about when you're thinking about having a personal brand? Um, and the question is framed in a way where whether someone's listening that wants to be online or not, I mm -hmm. think there could be some interesting lessons or takeaways for people mm -hmm. to just think about themselves in a, yeah. in a different way. So I'm curious like how you unpack that or work out what someone's personal brand is that's a little bit of a difficult question to answer because most of the people who come to me to work with me are people who have already decided they want to be online right mm -hmm. so then but the reason they want to be online can be very different for example someone um was in real estate and they wanted to build out their own personal brand now so that people would know who they were and they had that credibility in order to be able to sell their services and sell their company or whatever it was and other people will come to you thinking I have a lot to say. I've had a very interesting life um, and I have so much learning that I have accumulated and I want to find a way to disseminate that to others So because I don't want other people to have to go through life like I did without understanding these things. So it can be very different things and a lot of it, the first stage is always understanding what is the motivation to being online. Mm -hmm. And where do you see yourself going with that? Is this because the first question is, do you want it to be to make money or do you want to add value or be entertaining? Because that's the two different yep. paths completely. And if you want to go into the path of making money, then we, we dissect, you know, what is the business? Um, how do you want to monetize it? How quickly do you want to monetize it? Where are you already? And then if it's just adding value and entertainment, then that's a lot easier. And it's just about, okay, who are you trying to help? Who's the avatar of the person? you're trying to speak to how do we reach them uh how what are they looking for what are their pain points so it's a lot of like basically strategy consulting mm -hmm. but it's just under that banner of but we are you are the product as a person yeah so how do we position you which markets are we going to enter with you and what are you selling to your audience mm. if we could just dive on that like how do we position you mm. um angle I, I I understand what you're saying. Like people kind of come to you and they already have their intention or they it's something they want to do, right? Mm -hmm. They're being proactive about it. Yeah. So when you're shaping like, okay, how do we, pres how do we put forward this person into the world? Mm -hmm. What kinds of things are you considering? Because I think yeah. that's an interesting assessment just there and of itself yeah. to work out like, okay, well, how do I present who I actually am? Mm -hmm. So then that's the first point is understanding the personality of that person. Because some people are very good on camera. 
Some people are very good at writing. Um, and some people might be more comfortable on audio. Some people might be more comfortable writing. So it's really understanding the personality mm -hmm. because that will determine kind of like the medium through which sure. the content is going to come out. And that's that's already part of the positioning, right? So for example, and now the second part is, again, is who are you trying to speak to? If you're trying to speak to professionals, you're not going to go on TikTok. Mm -hmm. You will go on LinkedIn. But if you're trying to speak to Gen Z, you're going to go on TikTok. So there's a lot of understanding the medium uh, through which you will create the content. The second one will be the platform on which you will be disseminating that content. And then finally is understanding what do you bring in this niche that you are trying to get into that is completely different to mm -hmm. what is already out there or if you're going to do something that is already out there, how do you make it better? Is it through better production value? Is it through better storytelling? Is it through better um, guests? Whatever it is, but what is different about you? Because you cannot, as a new player, enter a market without bringing something new, mm -hmm. because then you're gonna get drowned out. Yeah. So this is kind of like the overall exercise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really, really interesting. Well. I could sit here and chat to you for ages, but I think our time's up for the day. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your nuggets of wisdom today. And I look forward to continuing to bump into you around Dubai and learning from you as well. So thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. This was great. And best of luck with the rest of the podcast. Thank you.